Welcome. We're glad you joined us. The name of this series is Growing Old. Listen as Pastor Lucas O'Neill explains why growing old is a blessing and how younger generations can learn from their experiences. Do you take your seats? Uh, you grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have paperbacks for you. And you can slip your hand up and we'll try to get a Bible to you. Um, uh, because we want you to follow along in the Word. I think Adele up here. Uh, we want you to follow along, uh, not with my notes. We want you to follow along with the Word of God. If you notice, I don't put PowerPoint, you know, with point one, point two. I want you to know my notes. I don't want you to know my notes. I want you to walk away knowing the Word of God. And if you completely forget who I was or what I said, if you just remember the impact of that passage, that was a successful sermon. That was a successful Sunday. We're in a series called Growing Old, and um, as I was preparing the series, somewhere along the way I was reminded of an an old fable that you might find familiar. Uh, A man who lives out in the hills, the Catskill Mountains, and he he likes to gripe. He gripes about work. He gripes about the fast pace of life. He gripes about having to get up and farm and till the land and do all these different kinds of things. He just dreams of a time to get some peace and quiet and get some solitude. He he just wanted to be alone and he wanted to be away from all of the push and shove and the work and the things that you have to do. One day he got away and on his way up the mountain trying to find a place to rest, he meets some people, they slip him a weird drink, he goes to sleep under a tree. And then when he wakes up, his beard is like two feet long. His hair is all gray. He makes his way down the mountain. He's calling for his dog. His dog doesn't exist anymore. He goes to his house. Someone else is living there. Uh, He doesn't recognize any of the people. He doesn't recognize the technology that they're using. He doesn't know what's happening. And he's very confused. And he says, "I, I, I just wanted to take a rest, but I woke up and decades have passed. And now everything has changed. Many of us, I think, throughout life, at some point we hit that point, or we will hit that point, where you start to feel a little bit like Rip Van Winkle. Where you don't know where the time went, everything is zooming past, and suddenly you feel like everything has changed. Now, as you get older and you start approaching whatever age you call is over the hill, some people I talk to saying, I'm there already. I mean, it's like it's getting ridiculous. But every, every one of us have that point where we say we're either at that point, at the hill, at the cusp, or we're over the hill, heading into our, or going into our golden years. But if you feel like Rip Van Winkle, that doesn't feel very golden. Uh, technology skyrockets past you so fast you can't keep up. I was just out to lunch last week with a couple, and we were talking about how when I went to college, I was on a typewriter. You know, and now it's like, you know, I, I just saw a video yesterday of a preacher. He preaches everything from his phone. It just looked weird. He's up there like this. So, the, you know, and, and just with the phone, just weird, just weird. But how fast technology zooms past. It seems like the older you get, the faster it gets, and it's hard to keep up. But not only is technology zooming past you, but as you get older and you start to slow down as a person, you're not in a rush, you're kind of slowing down, people are zooming past you on the road. People are pushing past you in the aisle at the supermarket. And people are pushing past you at church. You know, uh, it's, it's a, it's, the world gets faster and you get slower. And it's very difficult for a person who's aging to not feel like they're slowly becoming irrelevant. 
It's difficult for a person who's aging to not feel like they're slowly becoming unuseful. They, their physical limitations. And, I'm, you know, we don't have to point to the seven-year-olds for you to start feeling like, you know, used to, in college, you used to sleep on the, the floor. <laughs> you used to go camping and sleep in a tent, and now you've got to bring, like, five blow-up mattresses just to, to sleep one night maybe outside. And your idea of camping is an RV because you're not, <laughs> you know, uh, you can't play ball with the guys anymore. And you, you wake up, and there's aches, and there's pains, and you, and you can't keep up anymore. And it's easy to start thinking, like, I'm becoming irrelevant. Uh, you suffer losses, hearing loss, memory loss, friends loss that passed away before you did. A spouse is lost because they passed away before you did. And so there's constant grief and, and loss and the fear of, am I next? Um, it's very easy to feel sort of purposeless. And you spent decades investing in a career that you finally got to retire from. Like Rip Van Winkle, you're like, man, I can't wait to get to the, the, those golden years where I don't have to check in and clock into this job anymore. And I get that little watch and, I, and then the little ceremony and I get to not go to work anymore and I get the little pension. And, and, then, and then finally you hit that patch and you're like, okay, I used to get up with a sense of purpose. Like now what is it? Well, the Bible presents a different view. Biblically, I really believe this, biblically, even in your old age, you have just as much or more purpose in your life than ever. I want to turn you to one passage to look at that. And the first one is in Psalm 139. We'll look at two today. The first one Psalm 139. Your days as a senior... However old you are, if you're still drawing breath, your days are ordained by God on purpose. You're, it's ordained by God on purpose. Look at Psalm 139. It's a familiar psalm. And let's begin in verse 13. We'll go, to, we'll go 13 to 16. Praying to God, he's saying, For you formed me, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Now this passage is usually referred to in connection with a discussion about God's purpose in birth. Right? When someone is born, there's purpose in that person's birth. Because look, God it didn't just happen on accident and God's going to go, wow, I didn't mean for that pregnancy to happen, but let me do something with it anyway. God formed the person inside his or her mother's womb. And we refer to that. It does refer to that. But it also refers to purpose, not just in birth, but it refers to purpose in old age. I don't know if you missed it. I've often missed it. But look at verse 16 again. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, okay, the fetus. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How many of your days were already mapped out by God when you were a fetus? 
or prior to even a fetus, an unformed substance, how many of your days? 80% of them? 90%? All of them. All of them. If you're 89 years old, that day you wake up in the morning and you're like, whew, I'm 89 today. It might feel useless. You might feel irrelevant. The world might have you know, less use for you. Or at least we might see it that way. But biblically, that morning you got up and turned 89 was a morning that God mapped out when you were in your mother's womb. And so I think we struggle, not just the seniors, because when we get there, we struggle with it too. Why? Because it's not locked in. This sense of purpose that's detached from career, that's detached from spouse, detached from house, detached from community, but more attached to an eternal sense of purpose that God put there before you were born. That purpose doesn't expire. That purpose stays because, as verse 16 says, God has a book for each person. And in that book, it's got your name on it, and then He writes in that book the days of your life. Now, when you and I journal, we journal as the day comes. It's Wednesday, you wake up and you journal, Wednesday, November, whatever, and then you're like, okay, today this is what you know, I want to do today. Or in retrospect, you write it at night, here's what happened today. God's journal on your life is already written. He already wrote it before you were born. And so even in your old age, the purpose is no less. God wrote that day, ordained that day on purpose. God doesn't do things on accident, Right? He didn't just, oops, you got a surplus of days. Sorry, I meant, I meant for, to give you 60 years. I didn't mean for those extra two decades. No, he meant for those extra two decades. He meant those days. He ordained those days. I think sometimes we view old age like, like expired juice. You know, the concentrates all coagulated at the bottom and there's like a filmy stuff at the top and then clear weird looking liquid in the middle and it's just on the shelf and could you drink it sure but it's expired it's expired it's beyond its usefulness that's how we view old age You're like eh, I'm not useful anymore I used to do that but I can't do that anymore you're not biblically you're not expired juice you're aged wine you're aged wine this is this is prime time for you and even though the world might view it as weakness. It's external weaknesses, but the power of God is something else. And the Bible is calling us to start looking at our days instead of looking at our glory days are behind us. No, they're not behind you. Because if you're still drawing breath and you still have days in front of you, you still have today, that means God's watching expectantly, wanting you to fulfill the purpose that He had for you when He gave you that day. All right, now, naturally, the question is, what is that purpose, right? What is that purpose? Now, we like to talk about everyone was created for a very specific purpose. Um, and okay, that might be true, and that is true. God, you know, He designed each of us, given us specific things, and, you know, um, you were born in a certain place and given to certain parents when someone else was given a different situation, and that's true. But let's not even go there yet. Let's just talk about the grand purpose. Is there a grand purpose that no matter where you were born or where you're from or how old you are, that we're all connected to somehow? Is there a grand purpose? Yes, there is. And I think Psalm 71 will give us a little glimpse of that. So now let's flip over to Psalm 71. Same book, just flip over. Verse 
little chunk of pages, pinch a few pages, flip over to 71. I'm going to read a couple verses here, 17 and 18. Psalm 71, 17 and 18. Here's what it says. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, until I proclaim your power to all those to come. Here you have a request. The request is for God not to forsake him. What does he mean? He's saying, give me longer life. Don't give up on me yet. Don't let, don't let, don't let me pass through that threshold of going into the next life yet. Don't, don't let that happen yet. And he's, baking, he's making that request based on verse 17. I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. You can almost hear like, I'm still useful to you, God. I'm still useful to you. He's not saying, I'm a nice person. I, you know, I, still, I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Don't, don't check me out yet. Don't check me out until I proclaim it to another generation. So I just want to point out a few things here. He's not asking for longer life for the sake of longer life. He's not asking it because he fears death. He's not asking it because he's uncomfortable talking about death. Uh, I don't know how many of you, like, uh, if your family wants to bring up the, the, the discussion of whether you want to be cremated or... Let's not talk about that. You know, some people just, ah, let's not talk about that. He's not, he's not afraid of death. He's not afraid of talking about it. That's not why he's asking for more days. That's not why he's saying, God, don't forsake me. He's saying it for a specific purpose. He's saying it for a specific God-ordained purpose to proclaim His might to another generation. Also what I see here, also what I see here, is that He wants it. He wants it. He's not letting just life happen to Him and then going, you know, kicking around and going, okay, I have these extra days left. <laughs> what do I do, God? Fine, give me something. No, he, it's the opposite. He's taking the proactive role and saying, God, not yet. Not, not yet. Don't, don't let me all, don't let me lose my, don't, you know, don't let me start winding down. Don't, don't check me out yet, God. I don't want to end up in, in a hospital or a hospice yet. I don't want to end up there yet. Not because I don't want to be with you. Not because I fear it. Because I'm not done yet. I'm not done. I still have to proclaim. I still have to tell people about you. I still have to affect people for you. So that when I finally cross through that threshold and I'm with you and other people start crossing through, there could be a line of people thanking me because I affected them for you. That's what I want. That's the goal of my life. And if I can get another day, another week, another month, another year, please give it to me. Don't forsake me. Give me those extra days so that for the purpose of proclaiming your might to another generation. Man, if that's, if that's not an awesome mission statement, I don't know what is. But what's your mission statement? If you were to be honest to write it down, your mission statement. I'm not just you know, going after a certain age group here. All of us. What is your mission statement? Because right now, if you were to be completely honest with yourself, and your mission statement truly is tied to your career, 
Even if it's a little nicer sounding than that and your mission statement is tied to your kids. I just want to make sure they get in good college, marry good people. Okay, they get to college, they marry good people, they move away, they split into a million different directions. Thanksgiving's a little lonely now. Now what? Now what's your mission statement? And so we, we attach our mission, the mission of our lives to such transient things. It's no wonder that when we get old and we start to lose sight of some of those things or some of those things lose us a little bit, we, we, we struggle with that sense of purpose. And it's easy to get into a, 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 you know, those golden years where we just are just hanging in there and just waiting for the Lord to take us. But in the meantime, we don't know what we're doing. But biblically, that's not what He wants. Biblically, that's not what He wants. He doesn't want you to feel like expired juice. He wants you to know your aged wine. He has purpose for you, and He's been aging you for this particular moment, these particular days, for a very particular purpose. He wants it. He's asking for it. He's praying for it. He's writing a psalm to request it. And then he doesn't want to just sit around and ask the young people to come and knock on his door. He wants to proclaim it. You know, there's something about proclaiming something. He's not sitting around waiting to be asked. He wants to figure out ways to proclaim it. Give me time because I've got to proclaim this. I want to proclaim your wondrous deeds to another generation. And it's proactive. It's missional. He wants to do it and he wants to proclaim it. He doesn't just want to be around longer. He wants to be around to do something longer. He wants to proclaim what? What does he want to proclaim? So even to old age and gray hairs, God, don't forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. You know, when I read that in preparing this, you know what I thought? Who knows more about the power of God than someone who's been around a long time? I mean, what, what am I going to tell you? I mean, I could study scripture and stuff, but I, I can't tell you about wars. I can't tell you about starving. I, you know, I can't tell you about having to move in a difficult transition. I can't tell you about world leaders that rose to power. And then, you know what I'm saying? I can't. I have uh, like three decades to, to talk about. And the first decade, I barely remember much of it, you know. But if you're 50, 60, 70, 80, I mean, think of all the things that you can go back and go, look how God did this, and look how God pieced that together. You have a, more, you have a greater wealth to draw from, a deeper well to draw water from, to feed other people with, than the young bucks. And this is beyond degrees and how well you can study, how well versed you are in Scripture. This is experience, looking around you and seeing, look how I see God, you can... Put the dots together. I've got like four dots to work with. If you're a senior, you've got like 40 dots to work with. Does that, does that make sense? You, you've got a wealth of knowledge. It may not feel like it to you. But if you sat there and looked at your life, what God has done, where He's brought you from, even if you just became a Christian on your 76th birthday, you can still, now that you have Christ, look back on all those 76 years and still see Him working. You still have experiences to draw from. And that is amazing. Who has more to share about the power of God than someone who's been around for a long time? You've experienced suffering. You've experienced trials. You've experienced victories. You have, you have testimonies. Um, you've experienced all kinds of different relationships. Um, some of you, you know what it's like to come to a country and, you know, it's like a, a complete world change. I mean, the experiences that God has invested in everyone keep stacking year after year. 
And the more of those you have, the more you have to draw from to reach to other generations. Now, if we take our best quantity, our best aged wine, and stick it in a cupboard called irrelevant, we're doing a disservice to the mission that God has for His church. We're doing a disservice. We want to say, no, this, this is not about irrelevance. This is about a greater sense of relevance. Not because you know your way around an iPhone. Forget the technology. This is about the might of God. The might of God is not technology. The might of God is deeper than that. It has to do with stories. It has to do with relationships. It has to do with experiences, trials, victories, triumphs, and seeing God work in your life even before you were a Christian. And so if we have that mindset, we say, God, don't forsake me. Don't forsake me yet. Not yet. I, I want to proclaim your might to another generation. And some of you might feel like, you know, um, like Al's really good at that. You know, you know he's, he's like a chaplain. He was an elder Vern, you know. And there's people we can point to that like, yeah, they really know scripture. But me, okay, you know, what, what do I have to bring to the table? But listen, that's a poor view of discipleship. This isn't talking about being, being a minister, being an elder, uh, memorizing enough verses. And those are great things. You know, those are awesome things. But that's not everyone. What is everyone, though? You remember when, when uh, Jesus, he had picked his 12 and taught them for a few years. And then he was about to ascend and he left them with a mission. I said, you guys are my disciples, and what I want you to do is make disciples. You guys are my disciples, and I need you to go out and make disciples. Disciples make disciples. That's how we're here today, because that's been obeyed throughout the years. Disciples make disciples. So it doesn't matter if you're an elder in the church, or if you have a, a master of divinity, or if you are, or have a reverend in front of your name, or if you are, uh, you know, what your position is in church. It's not about an office, it's not about a position, but it is about the function of discipleship. And at the core nature of a disciple, you are so enamored by the greatness of God, you just feel compelled to share it. Without question of how well can I articulate it? What if they ask about the, the existence of God? Should I go study apologetics? And what is apologetics? I can't even say the word. No. It's I'm so enamored by God. God is so great. I see how He works, how He's worked in my life, how He's worked in other people's lives. I see it. I taste it. It's so good. I want you to taste it. And that's the wine that you feed people. You, know, you want to get them drunk off of the, the, the majesty of God so that it completely controls their life and they're filled with the Spirit because you're filled with the Spirit and you want to pass that on to them. That's proclaiming the greatness of God. It's not preaching a sermon necessarily. It's not teaching a Sunday school necessarily. But it's through relationships, through uh, influence with people uh, disciples make disciples. Disciples affect disciples. And in my notes I said, even old disciples. But then I crossed it out and put, especially old disciples. Especially old disciples. You know, the word elder actually means older. Now, I know like me and Bill and Andy, we're not, we're not older than everybody. But it's interesting that, you know, the word is traced back to a time, you know, it... It, the older people, a lot of times, were the elders. You know, my mom church, they call them ancianos. That sounds like ancient to me. The, like the root word, you know, the root word for ancient is the same word that produced the word anciano, which is elder in English. Um, could, we, could we 
maybe not the office of elder, but could we bank a little more on the older people in the generations ahead of us for wisdom, insight, you know, even if it's not now, I'm struggling with this Hebrew word. Forget the Hebrew word. I'm talking about what this passage is saying. What's it look like in life? What's it like in life? And we can. I think we should. He asked for extra days. He asked for extra time in his golden years, in his gray-haired years, in his old age, so that he, pro- he can proclaim the might of God, the power of God. Now, as soon as I saw the power of God, I'm going, now, what is the power of God? What is the power of God? And we can point to, like, the Grand Canyon, but look at that, look at that. You know, you can point to the stars and go, oh, my goodness, that's mighty, right? But it's interesting, like, when the Bible talks about the power of God, sometimes it mentions those things, but other times, if you were to just Google, you know, or Bible search, quote, power of God, quote, you're going to come up with verses like 1 Corinthians one twenty four that says the power of God is Christ. 1 Corinthians one twenty four. We looked at that verse yesterday. We put it up on the screen. The power of God is Jesus Christ. How does Jesus Christ demonstrate the power of God? Through the gospel, Romans one sixteen. The gospel is the power of God. I will not be ashamed of it. It's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Romans one sixteen. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the cross of Christ. That's how Christ demonstrated the power of God. He demonstrated it through the cross. The cross is the power of God. And so it's not just about, I want to proclaim how God made the mountains to the next generation. Man, that's awesome. If you're on a hike and you see mountains, you're like, wow, it's amazing. I mean, I know it, it just tugged at my heart. But the real power of God, the power of God is demonstrated most. And that while we were still sinners, He died for us. That's power. It's not so much the power to zap mountains into existence or carve a Grand Canyon or throw stars into the sky. That's amazing. And that just blows our mind. But what should blow our mind even in a greater way than that is the cross. That has to floor you. That has to grip you. That can never expire. That awe that you have at the, at the cross and the gospel, that can never expire. And when you're 145 years old, (laughs) you're still like, wow, like you were when you first heard the gospel. And you say, God, I know I'm 145. What I say? I mean, it's hyperbolic, right? But can I get to 146? Please, can I get to 146? Why? Because I'm miser, like a miser holding onto my funds, and I really, I want my kids to die so I don't have to give it to them. I hate, you know, or something crazy. No, no, no. Why do I want 146? Because that's 365 more days that I proclaim the gospel, proclaim Christ, proclaim the cross to another generation. I like how he doesn't even say the next generation. Another generation. He probably already did the next. Right? I mean, if you, the, the longer you live, you see generation, and then their kids, and then their kids, and then their kids. Every generation you see pop into existence, you should be... You should be you know, wetting your appetite for how you're going to get the gospel to them. Another generation. Okay, don't forsake me yet, God. Another one. Don't forsake me yet. I want another one. That's the mission, to proclaim the power of Christ, proclaim the power of the cross. When this psalmist wrote this, he didn't understand all that about power. But in retrospect, from our standpoint, we see that all of history was culminating in the birth of Jesus Christ, the perfect life He lived that we couldn't live, His death on the cross that we should have died, 
and then the resurrection that we couldn't do so that he could apply it to us. That's the power of God. Everything else, guys, is transient. Everything else really is irrelevant if it's not tied to the power of the cross, the power of the gospel. And so I think in many ways, you're, you're more able to proclaim that power now in your old age than you were before. I mentioned you have more testimony to draw from. We need to start, you know, those of you who have kept journals or keep journals, go back through all those journals and see how God moved in your life. That's testimony, guys. That is testimony. You know, we love like the stories like Nicky Cruz and look, he killed people and now he was transformed and that's awesome. You know, um, my mother-in-law, she gets asked to d- deliver her testimony. Why? Because of a, a past of drugs and gangs and fighting and stabbing and, you know, and it's like, she changed? <laughs> One day someone walked into church when they first became Christian and went up to Cynthia, my, my mother-in-law, and said, oh my goodness, I know God is powerful. What are you talking about? If you can change, Cynthia, there's hope for all of us. That's what they said. You know, we're enamored by awesome testimonies like that. But then we feel like we don't have a testimony. You know, because I wasn't a drug dealer. I wasn't a gangbanger. I didn't beat people up. I didn't, you know what I'm saying? We didn't, we didn't do these Nikki Cruz kind of things. But you have a radical testimony. That cross was for you. Why did you need the cross? Why did you need the cross? Right? Why did, why did you deserve it? Why did you deserve death? Um, because we all have something that God is rescuing us from. And then we all have stories. James, count it all joy, brothers, when you've experienced trials of many kinds. I've experienced maybe a trials of a couple kinds, but if you're older, you've got the many kinds. And you can go, man, these I was really able to get joy. And it wasn't until now that I was able to see how God was working. Um, what Paul writes in Romans, that God works everything together for good. I have to believe it, a lot of it, looking forward. But the more years you have, you can look back and be like, look how it was true there. Look how it was true there. Look how you worked that together. This confused me for like a decade. And look how yet still God worked that together for an ultimate good. Joseph lived a long life really fast. He's sold into slavery and he's bounced around. He's in the jail cell and, you know, finally he rises to the top. And now he's able to look back. The dreams, the brothers ridicule, the brothers selling him, rising almost to the top and then getting thrown in jail. And then the... the was it the butcher? I'm like, you know, forgets him. And, and what was that about? And the hurt and the pain. And then finally, the, you know, he gets, rises to the top again. And then he's confronted with his brothers. has to go and cry. I mean, this is still affecting the guy. And he's able to look back on that whole story and say, look how God worked all those pieces together for this. And the older you are, the more stories you have. The more episodes you have, the more seasons you have in your story to draw from, to proclaim Christ to others. That's powerful. That is powerful. Another reason I thought of is you have sort of a parental weight. You know? You're not other people's parents. They're not your kids. But you have a parental weight. And I hear this even from the younger people. Like, oh, you know, when Helga hugged me, I just felt like it's the mom that I haven't had in a long time. No pressure. I'm not saying be the mom and be the dad to people, but... Seriously, I've mentioned before, you know, I didn't know my grandparents. And so I get kind of all warm and fuzzy when I talk with some of you, you know. Like, it's like it's this connection that was missing that's, like, supposed to be there. It's supposed to be there, that connection. The previous church that I was uh, ministering in, because of a language barrier, the, the um, you know, in the history of this church, 
you all just went to go from, you decided to go from German to English, but a lot of these Korean-American churches decide the mother congregation will just stay in Korean and it will split off the younger folks into an English service. One of the drawbacks, one of the drawbacks of that, that was vocalized to me from those younger members was they missed the presence of the seniors. And when I came here, I go, awesome, awesome, we get both. You know, it's intergenerational, not you guys meet in this service and we'll meet, but it's together. But it's not together if we're not intentional about it. And I know for a fact that there's younger people here in our congregation that long for a more of a connection with the upper echelon. <laughs> you know, the, the seniors, the seniors, because they want that, they treasure that, they prize that, and I do too. I've heard more than once, and more, from, more than just one person, they wish, if it weren't for work, they wish they can go to the Thursday group. I'm not kidding. It's a blessing. And I tell people about it. Some of it is because I tell people about that group. And it's, it's a desire, it's a thirst that people have. That is a prime opportunity to use to proclaim God's might to the younger generation. So I thought of a few points of application. I know there could be many, but I just wanted to just throw out ideas, okay, some ideas out there, um, because in, our, in a couple of previous small groups that we talked about in preparation for this sermon, um, with the younger group on the Wednesday, that was one of the questions. So like, you know, what can we do to try to connect a little bit better with the senior with the seniors in the congregation. I want to throw out a couple ideas, and you guys, you know, we're not going to make it into a program. I don't want to make this into a program that we give it a flashy name, and we put a flashy slide up, and then we say from this date to this date, we're going to force people to connect. It just doesn't work that way. It has to be relational. It has to feel organic. It has to feel like it's coming from the inside, and it has to feel like both parties want it. But here's a few ideas I thought of. They're pretty simple. We all like going out to eat, right? Even the seniors love going out to eat. And you've got your Olive Garden, you've got your Red Lobster, and you've got your, your point, your spots where we go. And, it's, you know, we have two teddies and, ch- I mean, come on. You know, everybody has their spots that you like to go to. Um, once in a while, once in a while, just grab a younger couple or a younger person and just say, hey, we're going out, come on out. You know, just, just come on out, come on out with us. They can't join you on Thursday, but maybe they could join you on a Sunday afternoon. I guarantee you, you're not, I, I can't guarantee never, but it's going to be rare that somebody goes, no, wait, wait, just the old people? Yeah, nah, nah, nah. No, no, no. No, no. You're not going to get that. You're going to get like, really? I get to? <laughs> you know? Let them know it's not an exclusive club. We want you guys to come and just be around. We're not going to Bible thump you. We're just going to talk about life, talk about... I mean, it's, it's enjoyable, because I've been there. But they want to be a part of that, too. It doesn't have to be every time. But once in a while, just grab somebody and say, you know what, we're going to go here. Come on out with us. They would be so blessed by that. Another idea is maybe uh, something I've been blessed by. is to invite a younger person, a younger couple, over to your house for a tea, a small meal. Those awesome little snacks that, that I'm always like, what is this? I want all this stuff and taking extra home for the kids. That stuff's awesome. I don't know what that stuff is. It's good stuff. It's sweet and powdered sugar and it's baked. And, you know, it's like, it's awesome. With some tea and like, you know. <laughs> the Kirschbaums have like a tray like this of like all kinds of different teas. You know, like, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't choose. Like, man, that's a blessing for people. That's a blessing for people just to sit and be present with each other. 
just to sit and be present with each other. Not to open up the Bible, and I'm going to tell you how God uses all things together for good, you know. Um, we have this sermon, we have our growth groups and, and stuff. Um, bust out scripture by all means if you want to, but don't feel the pressure to be an instructor. Just relationally be there for each other. Another thought I had was, um, some of you seniors, maybe, maybe volunteer for CFC Kids. Now, I know it could be intimidating, but these kids aren't unruly. <laughs> you know? It's not like they're going to take over the class like, oh, we have a senior, let's flip the tables and go crazy. <laughs> you know? uh, hopefully, we're doing a better job of, than that. <laughs> you know? um, and they break into small groups, maybe you could take a small group. You don't have to speak you know, with a microphone in front of you know, 30 kids or whatever, but... Maybe a group of five, six, seven, eight kids and just sit and, okay, you heard the lesson. The lesson was about Joseph. Let's talk about that. What's it like to forgive, you know? The kids would love that. The kids would be blessed by that, especially the kids that grew up like me without grandparents close to impact their lives. Just a thought. You could sign up. Okay. Uh, Here's another one. Quietly adopt a person. Don't tell them you're adopting them, because then that's weird. <laughs> just adopt them in your mind, you know? Just say, you know what, um, this guy Fred, I see him come to church, and he comes, and he's, he's committed, and he, I see him worshiping, but I wonder what his story is. There's something about him that reminds me of me when I was his age. Why don't you come on out and, you know, let's talk. Don't tell him now, I'm adopting you, and I'm going to mentor you, and I'm going to ask God for extra days so I could just, because then, they'll, you know, that could just be weird. But just in your heart, say, I want to adopt that person in prayer. And I, that's the person I want to make sure I'm, 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 I'm connecting with in some way. After church, see how they're doing. Try to get to know them a little bit better. Ask them to come over. Things like that. On the flip side, younger folks that are sitting there wanting it, ask it. I think we have seniors that are like, okay, I'll sit with you. I don't really get like why that would bless you, but, you know... Um, but you know you'd be blessed by it. Ask. Don't ask them to mentor you. Don't ask them to adopt. Same thing. You know, you want to go up to them now. Can I come over every Tuesday at this time and you can walk me through your entire life? I want pictures, photo albums. I want five points of application each time we meet. No. Can I just come over? Can we just talk? Can we hang out? Can we just meet at Starbucks? Can, we, can I bring you something? You know, and develop relationships. It has to be intentional. Because if we have a younger generation that's wishing the older generation would engage, and then an older generation feeling like, well, what am I going to engage them with? I don't, you know. In their humility, maybe not feeling like they're the stellar elder people that have jewels from their treasure box to give you. They don't feel like it's jewels. But we know it is. We can ask. We can ask for that. And so I think if we start moving in that direction, I think we won't just have an intergenerational church in terms of the presence of people on Sunday, but an intergenerational church in the sense of the seniors understanding that they still have a purpose, not just a purpose floating out there somewhere, but a very specific purpose that has to do with passing the faith on to the next generation. And then the younger folks craving it, wanting it, being receptive to it, being open to it. And then we can try to get those two things going together. Let's just start with... Uh, informal relationship building. You know what? We've sat next to each other for 20 years at Christian Fellowship Church. 
let's go out to eat. You know, let, let's, just, let's just start doing that. Um, and, I, and I think that the God, God's blessing, hand of blessing, will be upon that in a really special way. Uh, you might be old, but you're not out. You might be retired from your careers, but you're not retired from the commission that God has given us to pass our faith on to another generation. I'm going to ask Mike to come forward and the ushers for the, um, for the offering. We're going to do the offering first. Um, and while these plates come by, if you have an idea, if you have an idea, an application, a way that we can do this better, tear that card off. Tear this card off right here and write it there. Write it right there. If you're one person that definitely wants to connect, I would love, I would love to be invited. I would love to be... Put it there. If you're a senior and you're saying, you know what, I could do that. I could sit and talk. I could sit and talk. <laughs> I could sit and share, share a cup of coffee. Put it there. Put it there. And let's start connecting some people together. This has been a presentation of Christian Fellowship Church of Itasca, Illinois.